So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, I'm going to ask you to click to, turn to First uh, Peter chapter three, verse one through seven, as we are, as we will be this weekend. And and so if you don't have an electronic device with scripture on it or an old school Bible, uh, no worries. The, the scripture is going to appear on the side screens as we walk through this message this morning. A number of weeks ago, I started a series called Great Expectations, and we started walking through First Peter just verse by verse. Uh, together as as a church family and so so we've been trying to to glean and gain everything that, that we can out of this book and apply it to our situation to our relationships where we are today and so today I've entitled this message just simply learning to share and so we're going to walk through this message together and so but before we do uh, let me just pr- let me just read the first seven verses and then we're going to walk through these verses together so here's what Simon Peter writes into this congregation writes into us as well and so here's where he, what he writes. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, or the putting on, uh, on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Lord Jesus, help me with this message. (laughs) Right? I mean, someone can like read that and push back and say, hey, Charlie, you don't really believe all that stuff, do you? I mean, that was for then. This is now. I mean, I mean, we're much smarter than that. We've had some, you know, we've had, we have more knowledge. We have more information. Please do not tell us you're like this old dinosaur. And do you actually like believe this stuff? I mean, we, we, we've like, I don't know if you know this, we've redefined everything. We've redefined genders, and we're redefined in marriage, and we're like redefining everything in our culture. And so please, please, please do not tell us that you believe this stuff. See, I think that's some of the problem when we come to Scripture of us interpreting Scripture and applying it to our life. We have taken Scripture, and we have lowered the bar of Scripture, and we've tried to fit it into our idea. We've tried to fit it into culture, and as a result of that, we're like powerless. And so I just need to let you know that there's years ago that I just drove a stake in the ground or a flag in the ground. And after intense study, I believe that the authenticity of Scripture, I believe that we have the same text that they had in their day. I believe that it's still alive and breathing and it's without error, it's without mistake. And we can take his word and we can apply it to our lives and our situations. And understands what is God's best for us in relationships and marriage and situations as this talks about. See, I'm going to talk to you today about this issue of marriage, but it's really broader than that, if you will. That whether you're single or whether you're married, I'm going to lift principles out of this and apply it to all different types of situations. For us to understand Scripture, we have to understand the context and the culture. And then once we've understood the, (coughs) excuse me, once we've understood context and culture, then we can lift the principles out and we can move them into our context and culture and we can apply them to our situations and our life. See, one of the things that we fight about, I believe, of interpreting Scripture is a few things. One is, is we're fighting culture, right? I mean, culture is speaking into your life, whether you realize it or not. 
And a culture is having a louder and louder voice. A culture is like speaking into your life and, and they're saying, you know what? We've re re redefined marriage and we've redefined gender and we've redefined everything. And so like you need to get with a program. Don't be a dinosaur. I mean, move forward in, in life. And, and so you've got to understand that cultures speak into relationships. Cultures speak into marriage. I mean, we noticed this when we were in Africa. We traveled all the way to Mimbezi, Africa, and when our team was there and we started doing missions and we started doing work, we realized that in Africa, their culture spoke into this issue of marriage. It's huge, patriarchal. In other words, this, it's like the man is like king. I mean, it's like an Archie Bunker-style marriage. If you're my age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If not, that's what the Google is for. You know, Google it for yourself. And it's like man is like king, and he does absolutely nothing around the house. I mean, absolutely nothing. And so it, it actually, it actually, there was some conflict. And I mean, it actually, it actually caused some, some concern in our, con, in our, in our, in our team as we kind of watched that whole deal where the women, I mean, they were like working their socks off and the men are like sit, sitting under the tree doing absolutely nothing. And so culture, so culture wants to speak into relationships. It wants to speak into marriage. I think there's another thing that we fight. It's just the influence uh, you saw how your mother treated your father, your father treated your mother, good, bad, or indifferent. So you brought that baggage into your marriage to whether you believe that this is the way marriage should be, this is how relationships should be handled because of the way I saw my mom treat my dad or I saw my dad treat my mom. And so we, we have that influence. And then we also have another influence. We have a group of people saying, you know what, I just got to be me. It is what it is. I just got to be me. This is my personality. This is how I've been created. This is how I'm wired. You deal with it. In other words, you deal with it. And so, so there's that that we're fighting. Now, for us to understand context and culture in this letter, we just got to understand, see, Paul is in Rome. Paul is in Rome, and he hears what the, the persecution that the early church is going through. And so he writes what is called a circular letter. This group of churches were in, in what we would call today modern-day Turkey, and so he writes a circular letter <coughs> that would be carried by an individual. It would be read in one church, and then the individual would move on to the next church and read the entire letter start to finish. And so in our day, we would call that like a group email, right, with no reply all. Do not reply to this email. I mean, it's just one of those things. And so it had like a group uh, distribution. And so Paul's encouraging them. Paul's telling them this is what God has done for you. This is what God says about you. This is the expectations that God has. This is, the, this is God's best. This is God's plan for your life. And then he started helping them. We looked at it last week. And so this is how you relate. This is how you relate to government. This is how you relate to your boss as a Christian. This is how, now this is how you relate in relationships, what we're looking at today. This is how you relate in marriage. And he begins talking about this marriage. And so, so I'm forced to, to just talk about this. Because this is just where we are. It's just the next part of the scriptures. And so let me tell you, I do not have an axe to grind. I'm simply taking the book of the Bible, working through the scriptures, and applying it to our culture, our context. And so I tell you, this is God's plan for, for marriage. This is God's plans for husbands and wives. This, this may not be culture's plans, but this is God's plan. And so today, we're not going to go by what you're used to or what you've seen. We're not going to go by what culture says. We're not going to go by what an individual says. And so today, we're just going to take the scriptures, and we're going to go by what God says. And so listen, do not get mad at me. I just work here. <laughs> I just work here. And so I, I made an agreement with God a long time ago that I would just faithfully open up the words every weekend with you, open up his word, read it, and apply it to the very best of my ability. So let's understand the culture. So the, under, so what, the undercurrent, what's going on here? 
Uh, well, you know, in some of the places in Scripture, especially in Corinth and some of the other writings of Scripture, that the, the, the word, God, is warning people and say, hey, singles, whatever you do, do not date and marry a non-believer. In other words, if you're a believer, do not be unequally yoked. Do not marry a non-believer because if you marry a non-believer, it's going to cause all kinds of issues in your relationships. You're going to have a spiritual spiritual mismatch. In other words, in other words, you're not going to you're not going to agree on where to go to church. If you go to church, how do you handle that whole deal? And then what makes matters worse, once you have kids, it's going to be even worse. I mean, because now you're going to confuse the kids. They they're not going to understand this whole thing. And you're going to argue, you're going to discuss, are we going to go to church? Where are we going to go to church? And then it's equally difficult for kids when they see one spouse go to church and one spouse doesn't. They, when they see one spouse as a godfather and one not. It creates all kinds of confusion with the kids when they, when they don't see a parent that is like committed and some of those other things. See, this isn't what Paul's talking about. In fact, he's talking about a deeper issue. He's talking about a real situation to where that's happening in their current, in their church. And so this, 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 um, the way is what the early church was called, is all of a sudden taking off People are becoming followers of Christ. And so there, there's probably this lady. This lady was in a, in, a, in a marriage, and neither one of them were God followers. They, neither one of them had ever heard of Jesus Christ. They get married. They have kids. And so one day, she's sitting around the house, and she's like, she's about had it with the kids. And so she needs a break. So she loads the kids up in the car, and she takes them down to McDavid's. And she says, I'm going to take you to McDavid's. I'm going to get you some chicken nuggets, and, we're, and you're, going to, you're going to hang out in the playland because mom just needs a break. And so she goes down to McDavid's, gets some chicken nuggets, put the kids in playland. And so she's sitting there watching her kids play, and she notices there's a group of ladies that, like, they're there together. And they're friends. And while their kids are playing in the playland, they're opening up the scrolls together. They're opening up the scrolls. They're opening up the scripture. They're reading scripture. They're praying with one another. And she's watching this thing go down. And so she keeps going back to McDavid's. And before long, she builds a relationship with them. And they invite her into their group. And they talk about this Jesus and what Jesus had done for her. This lady becomes a God follower, a Christ follower. So she accepts Christ. And she has been radically changed. And you know what happens? She goes home. She goes home and tells her husband. She tells her husband about her new faith in Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has done for her, what Jesus Christ is willing to do for him. And as a result of that, he rejects her faith. I mean, when you look at the Greek context and the Greek structure of this, it's not like he just said no. I mean, he became angry. He became obnoxious. He became demeaning or degrading to her. And it, what makes matters worse is she's living in a culture. She's living in the Roman culture. And the Roman culture says, guess what? Your religion, the man decides. Your religion, the man decides where you go to church, if you go to church. And so she's in this culture. And all of a sudden, Simon Peter speaks into that and says, you know what? Win him over without words. Learn, learn to follow him. Learn to submit to him. If he doesn't ask you to do anything illegal and moral, then just follow his leadership. See, submission just simply means this. Having the courage to yield my rights to another person's needs. I mean, it's just having the courage to do that. And so, so Simon Peter begins speaking into that. And so scripture tells us there's three different ways that you can live in life. You can, you can choose to live your life by what culture says. And I hate to tell you this. If you're going to live your life by what culture says, culture's going to redefine that like every year. Every, and now it's coming like, it's like redefining everything like every day. It just like shifts and changes. You can live life your way and say, I make my own rules. It's my personality. I decide what's right. 
I decide, you know what, when I read the Bible, I decide what scriptures apply. I decide what scriptures don't apply. And if that's you, you might as well just take scissors and just start cutting out scriptures out of the Bible because you don't think they apply to you. Or you can live God's way and say, this is God's best for me, and I'm going to try to learn that. So this morning, I, just, I have three principles about relationships, whether you're single, whether you're married, of how to apply this in and how, to, how Simon Peter speaks into our context and our culture. The first thing is this. We just got to understand selfishness. My selfishness, selfishness destroys relationships. My selfishness destroys relationships. And so, so the scripture, <coughs> excuse me. So the scriptures talk about this issue of selfishness. This issue, the scripture talks about three things that are damaging or dangerous in selfishness. First thing is this. Selfishness is a source of conflict. We just need to understand. This is what James says in James chapter 4 verse 1. He starts talking about the source of conflict and, and he says it's in the home or wherever. He said what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Huge question, right? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. In other words, what he's saying, you know what? Conflict starts in, in, internal before it's external. In other words, your conflicts, you know what wages war within you? Is this issue of selfishness. I mean, you can take conflict in relationships, whether it's conflict in homes, whether it's conflict at, at the work, whether it's conflict in church, whether it's conflict in your relationships, and you can like boil it down and, and kind of get to the root, and you're, you're going to find this somewhere, somehow, somebody is like being selfish, Right? Here's the crazy thing about that because we're humans because we're flesh. Isn't it true? We always think the other person's selfish. I mean, we never think it's us, right? We always think, you know, it's, it's her or it's him. They're the ones. They don't see it my way. They don't even care about me. And we always think it's the other person that's being selfish. And Simon Peter begins talking into this issue. And he says, if you, want, if you want to bring a sense of peace to the home, to your relationships, Understand that selfishness, my own it, my selfishness, me wanting my way, me wanting everything to go my way will destroy relationships around. And he says there's another thing bad about this issue of selfishness. Change cannot happen in relationships. When two individuals are selfish, when one individual is selfish, true change cannot happen. And you know what? You may be sitting here and say, you know what? My selfishness is really working well for me. I'm getting everything I want. I mean, my selfishness right now is really, really working well for me. Well, I'm telling you this, there's not going to ever be peace in your home as long as it's all about you. People are not going to feel valued around you. People are not going to feel loved around you. And sooner or later, it's going to, it's going to end in the ditches. This is, what, this is what Scripture says. And so Scripture helps us to understand whenever we're selfish, change, true change cannot happen. I mean... Have you, ever, have you ever tried to argue someone into changing? You, ever, you know what? As a pastor, I, I still haven't had anybody walk into our church and say, Hey, pastor, this last weekend I lost an argument and I came to Christ. I mean, I lost an argument about God and they yelled at me and they argued me into the kingdom. Right? Truth, you ever try to change someone? It doesn't work, right? It usually ends up frustrating you and them. And so Simon Peter says, so there's a, there's a different way. There's a, there's a better way. I mean, can you come to the place to where all of a sudden they realize, win them over without words, and all of a sudden realize that something has changed inside of you internally. And you're once were selfish, but like you're no longer selfish. In other words, you realize that there's people around you. I mean, man, I'm willing to bet the person that has made, had the most influence in your life 
was probably an unselfish person, not a selfish person, right? If you think about someone that's had influence in your life, it may be in the unselfishness of a coach or a, or a teacher or a parent or a, a friend or a boss, someone that saw something in you that you did not see in yourself, and they were just unselfish, and they just, they just met some needs in your life, and, and that's what changed you. And so Paul begins, or Simon Peter begins, talking about this issue of, 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 of selfishness and the danger of it. And here's the crazy thing about this. Either Paul had some information or he made an assumption. And the assumption was this in writing this, even though this couple had a spiritual mismatch, they'd committed to work it out. Even though that spiritually there's like this mismatch and this lady was a, was a Christ follower, the husband wasn't, they must have matched up in some other areas, whether, 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 whether it's personality, whether it's hobbies, whether it's love, whether, whatever. And so they, they had decided to like to work together and work, out, work it out. And so he goes on and he, he says, verse 3, Do not let adorning the external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now listen, let's stop right there. There's a cultural thing that's going on. So Simon Peter is not saying in our culture that you should not take care of yourself. You shouldn't do your hair. You shouldn't wear makeup. You shouldn't wear gold. Uh, you shouldn't care about any of that. He is not saying that at all. He is just simply saying an outward beauty is fading. An inward beauty does not fade. Don't let your beauty only be the external. In other words, your beauty should be deeper than that. I mean, it's crazy, but you know this, right? Hairstyles, a dress, um, they fade, right? Hairstyles, dress, oh, and I even hate to bring it up, even your body goes south, right? I mean, even your body begins to change. I mean, if we're honest, can we just talk about that for a second? Listen, everything changes. I mean, you know this, right? Um, I mean, you look at pictures of yourself like 20 years ago, and you're like, oh, my word. Why did I even wear that, right? Why did we even think that looked cool? My girls still give me a hard time when we show family pictures, you know, like when Karen and I first met or, you know, 20 years ago. And, in, and we, we, when we were first met, we were in Texas. And so I don't know if this is a style here. It was a style in Texas. But it was just horrendous. I mean, back in the days, men, when we wore uh, T-shirts that were way too tight, you know, so we wore skimpy T-shirts. And then we wore these shorts. They were called bike shorts or coaches shorts. And, like, they were polyester, so they were even hot. And so and they came, like, like, they came down to, like, only here. Remember those? They came down to only here. And, you, and it was cool in our day. And then to make matters worse, we wore these things called tube socks. And so remember that? And you'd pull your tube socks all the way up to your knees. And then to make even matters worse, they had stripes around them. So it just looked even worse and you wore tennis shoes. And so my girls see that and see me then that. And they're like, Mom, what did you even see? And Dad, look at this. I mean, Dad, do not ever wear tube socks again. This is like horrendous. This is like horrible. And so we know that, right? Uh, this, this issue of lifestyle and our, our, our clothing and, and hairstyles, all of this stuff, fades but 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 he's trying to help us understand but this in inward beauty doesn't fade in other words what he's saying is this no matter how old you are you can become more attractive no matter how old you are instead of beauty that fades you have a beauty that will deepen the more that you deepen into them i mean you know this right you ever met somebody and by the world standards by the world standards they weren't very attractive but you get to know them 
And there's like this inward beauty. There's like this depth of no other. And all of a sudden, there's this, there's this, there's this attraction to them because of this inward beauty, because of this depth. Let's flip it. You ever met someone that by world standards, they were not a 10, they were a 15? And you had a conversation with them. You got to know them. And their lack of inward beauty, we'll just say, brought them from a 15 to a 3. This is what he's, this, this is what he's saying. He's saying there's this unfading beauty. He says, oh, and you know what that unfading beauty is? It's a relationship to Christ. It's this, it's this gentle and a quiet spirit. And so for the singles, let me, just, let me just say something. Then we'll move on. You know this, right? The problem is most men are not looking at the spirit. They're looking at the body. And if that's the type of guy you want, that only looks at the body and doesn't look at the spirit, the rest is your problem. The rest is your problem. It always bothers me on, on social media, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, when, an, when, a, when a man, will, an individual, will either take a selfie with a girlfriend or a wife or will take a picture of a girlfriend or a wife, and then they'll post it and they say, hey, check out my smoking hot wife or my smoking hot girlfriend. Really? Really, is that all there is? Really? As she ages, are you still going to love her? If she gets cancer and loses her hair, are she still going to serve her? Are you still going to love her? As you grow older together, is your, why, listen, why would you want to put that much pressure on a woman when culture is screaming what beauty is? And by the way, culture changes. You look from generation to generation, so it changes on that whole deal anyway. Why would you want to put that much pressure on a woman, on a female, when, scripture, when, when, when culture is screaming into her life, this is what beauty is, this is what hotness is. Why would you ever want to put that much pressure on a female that has enough pressure as it is? And Simon Peter's scripture would say, guess what? There is an inward beauty that as you tie into God, you don't become less attractive. You become more attractive with this gentle and quiet spirit. And the opposite of a gentle and quiet spirit is just someone that's like always up in your grill. It's just obnoxious. Just my way or the highway. Simon Peter says there's like this inward beauty. The, th the other thing about selfishness, what it will destroy, it will hurt your prayer life. It will just, listen, it will destroy. This is what Simon Peter says, verse, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Then what he's trying to help us understand, the way I relate to others affects my relationship to God. My relationship to, to my husband or my wife or people around me affects my relationship with God. A selfish person at their core simply says, I depend on myself. I'm living life my way. Don't care what the scriptures say. I'll cut the scriptures out of the Bible that disagrees with me, disagrees with the culture. I'll decide whether it's God's word. I'll decide whether it's not God's word. You know what? I, it's, it's wheels off. I'm going to live life my way. It is, it is literally all about me. So at the core of that, a selfish person, well, selfish person will not depend on God. Uh, prayer at the very core is I'm dependent on God. A selfish person doesn't have to depend on God. It's all about them. 
An unselfish person will pray. An unselfish person will understand their dependency on God. An unselfish person will depend on God for decisions and leadership and leadership in the home and relationships. And so those are the three things that, that selfishness will destroy relationships. The second principle is this. Living God's way builds relationships. Living God's way builds relationships. And listen, I cannot force you to change. I cannot make you change. And I'm just telling you, this is God's way. This is God's, this is God's best for your life. This is God's plan for your life. This is God's plans for relationship. Verse 7, he says, he said, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, he's saying, learn to live in an unselfish way, where you, where you actually care about the needs of others. So a couple of questions, actually three questions that, that maybe you could ask yourself just as you walk through this. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves, do I understand the needs of others? Do I understand the needs of others? If, if, I, if I handed out a, like an index card and said, hey, could you list out the three needs of, of, of a husband, of your husband or your wife or a, a dating relationship or your kids, could you list out what they need right now? Could you do that? Do you even know, listen, do you even know what they need? Do you even know what they're lacking? Verse 7, it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so in the Greek, this literally means to live together according to knowledge, which means you need to get to know, in this case, you, get to, you need to get to know her. You need to get to know them. Do you, need, do you know what they're facing right now? Do you know what they're struggling with right now? Do you know what they need right now? Now, and that's why he goes on and says, well, Paul writes in Philippians 4, 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness is just another way of being unselfish to everyone. In other words, to where you understand this issue, you value others around you. And as a result of that, you're willing to listen to them. I don't believe any of us were a natural born listener. I don't believe we came uh, into this world to where we were just automatically like good listeners. And, and, and so if, if someone around you or if you are a good listener, then that just means you've worked at it. That means you've worked hard at it. Uh, you, you've, uh, you've worked hard to learn this art of listening because listening doesn't come naturally, naturally to anybody. And so when you begin to look at this and, you, and, and I look at this, oftentimes when I feel like listening the least is when I need to listen the most. Because of issues and struggles. And so if you're, if, just, just a couple things just to help us. If you're going to become a good listener, then when someone is telling you a story, telling you what they need, you need to allow them to say it their way. Right? You need to allow them, you know what, however they communicate. If you, if you really value them, it may be way more information than you really needed. You know what? You didn't care what day it was, what time they got up, what, time, what they had for breakfast. Could we just get to the point? That may bother you. But whenever you interrupt, as soon as you interrupt, as soon as you start finishing their sentences, you are shutting down communication. You know what you're doing? You are telling them you don't know how to communicate. The way you communicate, the way I communicate. I mean, that's the way we communicate. And so, so you have to come to this place to where, listen, you, you're willing. You're, you're allowing them to tell it their way. And then you can ask questions when they're done. And you need to learn to make eye contact, right? 
I mean, we live in a social media, high-tech driven world. And I'm telling you, when you're in conversation with someone, if you really value them, you don't pick up your cell phone. You don't start texting someone, tweeting something, looking on Facebook and saying, yeah, I can listen, watching, you know, TV, whatever. I mean, you may, even secular psychologists, non-Christian psychologists, counselors will tell us, humans were created in such a way that, that conversation happens making eye contact back and forth. That's how the deepest form of communication happens. I just look in the social media-driven world and like I'm watching game one of the World Series. Houston Astros, by the way, uh, tied up the series last night. And so game one of, of the, and I know no, nobody in here cares, but I just had to get it out. <laughs> game one of the World Series, they show a shot, camera shot, front row, sitting on the front row, father and son. Um, and, um, I mean, first baseline, awesome seats for a World Series. The, the, the kid has a Houston Astros hat, about 85 bucks, a jersey, about 200 bucks. Front row seats at the World Series, $5,000. $5,000, and he's sitting next to his dad. You know what he's doing? He's playing a computer game. Like, really? Really? You're sitting next to your dad. You're at the World Series. Wherever you are, be all there. The same is true in communication. Another thing is you have to ask yourself, do I, do, I, do I honor the value of others? I mean, do you really honor the value of others, the, the, the value of a spouse, the value of a family, the value of your coworkers, the value of people that you attend church with? He says, verse 7 again, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a parallel passage, Ephesians 5, that talks about husbands show respect to your, your uh, uh, show respects to your wife and, and wives honor your husband. And then all of a sudden, just to keep it real, uh, Simon Peter uses a real life illustration about marriage. Like in verse 6, he says, and as Sarah, and so they're Jews and they're all tracking with this. They said, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. And so... So that, that phrase, don't let that phrase freak you out about Sarah calling him Lord. That was just a way of saying she honored and respected her husband. That's all it's saying. Respect, it's a reciprocal thing. It's the ability, I mean, respect comes when you're, you have the ability to see the value in another person. Listen, if I, if I know someone has a need, if I know my wife has a need and I meet that need, you know what that's saying? I value her. I value, whenever we meet a need in somebody, whenever we're willing to meet the need, it just says they have value. I value them. And so you look at Abraham and Sarah's relationship. He brought it up. They didn't have a, they didn't have a perfect marriage. Fact is, when you, when you kind of read the story, I mean, I mean, she had every right to be angry about some stuff. I mean, we could all justify our anger, anger right? In marriage, if you've been married any time, we can all justify our anger. Uh, Sarah had plenty to be angry about. I mean, not one time, but two times, Abraham, like, gave her away. And then lied about the whole deal. But you don't see any anger in her. And so scripture doesn't show how they worked that whole deal out. How they came back together. We just know that they did. And so what that's just saying is, is husbands. <coughs> man, be careful with your words. Be careful with your actions. Your wife has, has said to, 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 lead, to has said that she's going to follow you and follow your leadership. So be careful of that. Under, and understand and, and to value her. Because guess what? You are heirs together in the grace of life. And in other words, you're in this together. This issue of value is huge. I mean, 
We use this in the world all the time about financial value, right? We, we use this in the world that, that if you have a, if you have a, a car that's like a, a collector's car and it, and it appreciates in value, then, then we talk about the appreciation financial your home. We can talk about your home appreciates in value. And so you know what Simon Peter is saying? Is when we truly appreciate someone, we up their value. Up their value. I, I tell my wife all the time, you're way more smarter than me, uh, creative than me. Um, she doesn't always believe that, but here, here's, here, here's what I've learned. When my wife is fulfilling her God-given call or God-given passion, it changes everything. And when I help meet those needs, when I help resource that, something happens about her value. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so it doesn't say to pretend like, like you're a doormat, or it doesn't say to pretend like you don't have any value, you don't have any needs. All this is talking about is being willing to look at someone other's needs than your own. It, it's okay. It's okay in relationships. This is what I need. This is, th these, these are my needs. This is, this is what I need in a relationship. This is what I need in marriage. Listen, I came across the greatest definition of love that I've ever seen. It's from a guy by the name of Joseph Epstein. And, and so he writes this. He says, love is an agreement on the part of two people to overestimate each other. In other words, in marriage and relationships, we round up. Why is it we round down? Why is it we just remember what they've done wrong? You know, can I just tell you this as a pastor? You know when typically we round up? You know typically when we overestimate each other? At a funeral. What is it about a funeral? Kind of forget everything they've done wrong. We remember all the memories, everything they've done right. Why don't we start doing this while we're living? Why don't we start doing this now? Why don't we start believing the best in each other and start rounding up? The third and the last thing is this, just real quickly. Do not let fear control you. Do not let fear control you. That's why it's just so interesting. He talks about this issue of fear, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. It says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Why did he add that issue of fear? Because to be unselfish, you must let fear go. Man, I'm just telling you, the most insecure people I know are selfish people. You, met a, you meet a person that is selfish. It's my way or the highway. Down deep at the root, they're very insecure. It's scary to trust God. It's scary to live life unselfishly. It's scary to move into that because there's that fear, right? That fear, will I lose myself? Will I lose my identity? What if they take advantage of me? What if they hurt me? What if, what if I'm miserable? All of those things. And so there is a barrier to doing this, right? And it's this issue of fear. And so 1 John speaks into that, and he says, verse 18, he's, 4, 18, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect fear cast out, but perfect love cast out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in perfect love. So what he tells us is this, to overcome fear, to overcome selfishness, and become unselfish in relationships, all you have to do is meet somebody who will love you perfectly. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's what Eli talked about earlier. 
Don't we need to do a better God, job of just trusting God and not living in fear? Can I just tell you this? This is just personal. My personal opinion. I, I think fear is what's driving a lot of Christians right now. Fear of the government. Fear of culture. Fear of what's going on. Fear of redefining everything. And as a result of that, there are a lot of Christians that are becoming obnoxious and angry and judgmental and hateful. And they're screaming at the darkness. And the darkness, and I'm telling you, you know this, right? You scream at the darkness, the darkness is going to scream back. Simon Peter says there's another way. We need to all learn to do a better job at doing what God's called us to do. Listen, and I've spent a lot of time writing this and then now preaching this for the fourth time. And listen, I'm... As I'm, as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. And the, the 5 o'clock service, I was preaching through this, and I, I just had this overwhelming thought all the way through. Maybe you have. And it's just like, oh, Lord, just help me. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to be that person that's full of Bible verses and full of doctrine, but then full of judgment and full of hate and hateful words and anger and yelling. I mean... I don't know about you, but when I, when I read a passage about relationship and marriage, I just want to pray and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to trust you with the results to living this out. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? and.